Well, good morning, Journey. You know, living with teenagers can be loads of fun, especially during that season of life called puberty and when they're trying to, you know, transition from being an adolescent to a teenager and a young adult because in that stage, you really never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to come out of your mouth, their mouth or, or what your conversation is going to look like. For example, say you're, you're in your living room, you're sitting on your couch, you're quietly watching television, and your teenager comes in and says, hey, I'm going to go over to Hannah's house. So as a parent, you know, you're, you're not familiar uh, with who Hannah is, so naturally you ask, you know, that sounds good, but can you tell me who, who is Hannah? And at that point, everything heads south really fast. And out of their mouth comes things like, why, why can't you trust me? You know, you're always picking on my friends. Nothing I do is ever good enough for you. Tears erupt and then blurted out of the words, I hate you. And they storm off. And all you wanted to know who Hannah was and if they needed a ride to their house. I remember a couple conversations with my daughter in that season of life, and we'd be talking away, and I would ask a few questions, and then she would just start crying. And I'm like, as a guy, I'm like, I just asked you a question, and one time, you know, I, I blurted out without really thinking. I just said, why are you crying? I just asked you a question. And at that point, Dory gave me one of those gentle taps on my leg that says, just let it go, Dave, just let it go, you know, because I, I couldn't figure it out. You know, teenagers that hate are sometimes just part of parenting during that season of life. But it can still hurt, isn't it? It can still hurt when somebody blurts out, I, I hate you, because that's a strong word. It's difficult to deal with, and, you know, it's hard to see, for example, a marriage that's been, been together for a couple of day, decades, and it ends with words, I hate you. Or where a business partnership ends with, I hate you. Or when an act of generosity or kindness, an act of extending grace to someone is responded with, I hate you, and then we wonder, why do we even try? Why do we even care? Because those three words, they can tear at our hearts. So we do whatever we can to avoid hate. You know, we, we don't want people to hate us. And sometimes we even start conversations with the words, please don't hate me, but, and then you launch into it. Which makes our text for today's sermon rather difficult. It's one of the hard sayings of Jesus, because up until this point, as, as we've been going through John, we, you know, we've seen Jesus offer some encouraging words. You know, he's telling his disciples, he's leaving them, so he wants to encourage them, support them, give them some comfort. So he focuses on things like comfort and peace, telling them that everything's going to be okay, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave you with an advocate, a helper, and it's called the Holy Spirit. And last week when Adam preached, um, he talked about how we can produce fruit if we remain a, and abide in Christ. And, and that's, that's like a good encouraging stuff, right? I mean, I like fruit. I want to be able to produce fruit in my life to see evidence of my faith. Well, now when we come to our text today, the, his discussions with his disciples turns 
to hate. Well, we're, we're continuing through this series of sermons where we're looking at the final teachings of Jesus with his disciples from John 14 through 17. And it, as we look at this, it gives us an intimate portrait of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, it helps us to understand who our Savior is, what, it, what his heart looks like for us and the world, and it allows us to see where we stand with the world. And that last piece of our standing with the world takes front and center in our text today. Because not everything that Jesus says is easy to digest. Not everything he says is warm fuzzies. Not everything that he says is easy to hear. So we pick up in chapter 15 of John. And if you have your Bibles with you, your app, open up to John 15. And we're going to begin in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. You know, as Jesus followers, we kind of walk this line of a love-hate relationship. As we, we fall in love with Jesus as the Gospels call us to, as, as Jesus calls us to, but as we fall in love with him, we fall out of love with something else, what the Bible calls the world in which we live. Now, we, we are to love the people in the world. Yes, we are to reach them and reach them with the Gospel, but we get turned away by them so often. See, loving Jesus means being hated by the world. And Jesus just tells us that we will face antagonism. We will face different levels and forms of persecution in the world because of our love for Jesus. So we can't be shocked or dismayed when it does come. I read this week that every single day, there are approximately 13 Christians worldwide that are killed and martyred for their faith every single day. Every single day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every single day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and five others are abducted every single day because of their beliefs. And in our world today, where Christians face the most violence is Pakistan, quickly followed by countries like Nigeria, Congo, Mozambique, India, South Sudan, Ethiopia, and the list gets longer 
and longer. And the country of North Korea has held the title of the world's worst persecutor of Christians for over 20 years. There's zero religious freedom there. So today we want to try to answer this question, why, why the hate? But it starts with answering where does our, uh, our own allegiance lie? See, hatred comes because we belong to Jesus, not the world. Jesus himself said in verse 19, You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. So what did Jesus mean by that? What, what kind of world is he talking about? Well, in the Bible, there's, you, know, you see references to the physical earth. Like in Genesis, tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's the physical idea of the world. But we also see the world referred to as humanity, like in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. But then there's also the idea of humanity that's opposed to God. And in rebellion to God, this, this part of humanity that's devoted to sin and not to God and his teachings. So the world that Jesus is referring to here in John 15 is this culture, is this system that is in rebellion to God. Now sometimes that rebellion is masked different ways or looks like different things. In Jesus' day, it was kind of covered with, with the mask of religion and ritual, just like it is today sometimes. Others, you know, are more overt about it. There's just outright, you know, pride and self-righteousness and a boasting and lifting up of self. Sometimes we see it in just attitudes and, and dispositions of, of greed and power and wealth and just pursuing that. But John just reminds us that this world is in rebellion against God. Simply doing things apart from God, apart from his teaching, apart from his will. So journey, get this, to follow Jesus is to surrender our rebellion to God. To surrender that, to put that aside, to surrender our lives to Jesus. You know, because when we live for self... For our own desires that, you know, as blatant as it, as it sounds, that puts you in rebellion against God. So Jesus calls us to put our faith in him, our loyalty, our, our allegiance in him as the Messiah of God, as the king of our lives. Because there's only one king, and that's Jesus, and he wants all of you. So Jesus has chosen us to, to follow him. He's saying, I've, I've pulled you out of this rebellion because I don't want you to live that way. I want you to follow my teachings. So he calls us out of the world to step away from that and towards him. To live with our trust and faith in him and in his teachings. Grounded in him. So belonging to Jesus does that, but belonging to Jesus also can breed hate. So, you know, why, why all the hate? Well, basically, we don't live in that structure that the world holds up as, as important. So when we follow Jesus, that means we have different priorities, 
means we have different set of motivations. Those are different. When we follow Jesus, that means we love him, we worship him, we serve him, we obey him, even when it doesn't make sense to the world. When we follow Jesus, we are about loving others and sacrificially giving to others, which doesn't make sense by the world's systems. When we are following Jesus, we are about sharing the good news of the gospel with others. I mean, we're just motivated by different things, different set of values, higher and greater values. And the world, I feel, you know, gets convicted when we live that way. It feels guilty when we, when we begin to talk about the gospel to people in our lives when we begin to call sin for what it is, sin, and expose that. You see, the world encourages conformity with their belief system. And it's going to reject or hate or push back against that nonconformist. It's going to push back against a Christian worldview, a, a Christian belief system. So you have these clashing worldviews, and, and a worldview is just like a set of lenses of, of what you uh, look at society and culture with. It's how you interpret our world. Another way I've heard it described, it's like a jigsaw uh, puzzle box top. You know, it gives us the, the big picture as we work through life and put the separate pieces together. When we have a Christian worldview, it means we filter everything through the Bible. The Bible um, becomes that filter in how we interpret the world. And that is opposed to what society does. John elsewhere in the letter that he writes called 1 John chapter 3, he says, don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So, so I, I love that. He's like, basically, it's going to happen. So don't be shocked. Don't be, you know, don't be, get all flustered. It's going to happen. And, and in John chapter 12, it just encourages us. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't conform to the world's belief system, to the world's wor worldview, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we do that through immersing ourselves in Scripture. And when we do that, then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this transformation process that we go, to, go through when we surrender our life to Jesus, it's a lifelong process. It's not a one and done. It's something that we work on daily, weekly, monthly. It's something that, that works on us as we immerse ourselves into Scripture. So it's not only a lifelong process, but it becomes a lifestyle process as well. As God begins to work, us, work on us on the inside, that's reflected on how we live on the outside. So what, what does that look like? Well, that means you, you put aside the binge drinking. You, you put aside the inappropriate movies, movies. You put aside the coarse and rude language. You put aside the bar scene because you're no longer part of that crowd. It means you put aside striving for money. You put aside the grabbing for power and prestige and using people to get ahead journey, we are different 
when Jesus is in us. And that's evidence on how we live. See, we are then transformed into loving people, giving people, other-centered people. And the world is going to hate you and bring antagonism and persecution to you because we live by that different set of values. Well, Jesus says the ultimate reason of this in verse 21, he says, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. The world doesn't recognize Jesus for who he is. They might think, yeah, he's a good teacher. We like a little bit of his scenes, a little bit of his stuff. But the world doesn't believe, you know, that Jesus is Messiah, that we needed a Messiah in the first place, that we needed a Savior because I've heard people, you know, what do I need to be saved from? Saved from what? And you might come across people with kind of a mix and blend of, of beliefs, you know, little Jesus here, but, but not too much. A seasoning of God on that part, but don't go overboard. And then some people just are not going to look at life through the lens of Scripture. They have a different worldview. So Jesus says when the world re- rejects him, they're rejecting the one who sent him. Because in Jesus' speech, God's words are heard. And in Jesus' works, God's activity is seen. And in Jesus, God himself is seen. So he says to hate Jesus is to hate God. And to accept Jesus is to accept the Father. When I first came to Christ, for me, it was you know, a total lifestyle change. Um, God really worked on my heart. And when I started following his teachings, I immersed myself in it. And God began to change how I lived. And the crowd that I hung with at that time quickly walked away. And at first I was like, where where did all my my friends go? You know, how come they don't want to hang out with me? And, you know, how come? And at that point I couldn't figure it out. And I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been. Because I was now living with a different set of values. I was looking at life through a different worldview. There comes Jesus making this point that we can count on that kind of animosity. Sometimes it's outright hate. Sometimes it is abandonment by people that you thought were friends. But ultimately, a lot of people love their sin more than they love Jesus. Plain and simple. People would rather choose sin than choose to follow the teachings of Jesus. That's what it comes down to. They love their sin. They love darkness. They love the secrets of their heart more than they love transformation by Jesus. So people are naturally going to reject anything that exposes that lifestyle. They're going to reject the light of the gospel. So belonging to Jesus also brings a rather reluctant promise. And I say reluctant because we'd like to forget it. Because back in verse 20, he says, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. And the word if there, I learned, can also be translated since. Like, it's going to happen. Since they persecute me, they will persecute you. And that's why I think it's a reluctant promise. 
We'd prefer to skip over this section of John and, and get to the comforting stuff. It's not very attractive. It's not what you're going to, you know, draw large crowds with. It might even turn some people off to Christ and the gospel. But Jesus is saying we can simply expect the same treatment that he received. That's a promise from Scripture. Now, there's a false teaching out there that says if you follow Christ, life is going to be smooth sailing for you. You know, everything's going to go good, but let me spoiler alert here. Godly believers go through some tough stuff. Plain and simple. You know, sometimes it's directly related to our faith in Jesus, you know, because of how we're treated. Sometimes we will be ridiculed or singled out because of our beliefs. And if we believe that, you know, because we follow Jesus, life is smooth sailing, what happens then when life doesn't fit into your little theological box? What happens when, when we face pr pressure because of what we believe? Well, some are going to toss out faith completely and walk away. Now, persecution that we might face has a lot of different faces, a lot of different avenues. <clears throat> Back in church history, the first great persecution happened around A.D. 64. Up until that point, the Roman rulers and Roman governors just looked at Christianity as just kind of being a sect to tolerate. Uh, uh, one part of uh, the Jewish belief that, that they would just, you know, maybe a nuisance, but they could deal with it. Well, then in, in the year 64, the city of Rome caught fire and began to burn. And about three-quarters of, of the city burned, and people blamed the emperor Nero for setting the fire. And Nero was kind of a psychopath, so to uh, kind of get himself off the hook, he diverted blame to the Christians. And he had the Christians of that city rounded up, and event, he tortured them. He murdered them. He executed countless numbers of them f simply because of their faith. And that was the first widespread persecution of Christians. Now today, persecution can mean literal death if you live in a country like Pakistan. But here in the U.S., it's reflected more in um, attitudes than actions. Sometimes it's in the form of just indifference. Sometimes it's in the relational eye roll, you know, that says, oh, you're one, you're one of those. Sometimes it does mean fr friendships that are dropped, or it can mean just repulsion or actual growing animosity because of the fact that you want to talk about Jesus. Sometimes we think, well, are we just being paranoid? You know, is, is this just, you know, the state of mind where we're convinced the world is out to get us? You know, where, where we imagine people are hostile all around us? Is John 15 just being paranoid? You know, the, the thing about being paranoid is that sometimes people really are out to get you. I remember, I remember the movie uh, Conspiracy Theory. I don't know if you ever saw it. It came out in 97 with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts. And, and Mel Gibson plays this ultra-suspicious, paranoid guy that thinks um, that there's a government conspiracy around every corner out to get him. And in the movie, it turns out that he was right. You know, it's a pretty, pretty good movie. But Jesus just reminds us that the world is going to hate you. 
the world will persecute you. So we can think of it as not if the world hates you, but since the world hates you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor and a theologian in the early part of the 1900s. And he was, he was an author and eventually a martyr for his faith because he spoke out against uh, the Nazi government in World War II. And because of that, he was imprisoned. And eventually, in the last, literally the last days of World War II, he was murdered for his faith. <clears throat> and, he, and he wrote in his well-known book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said that suffering is the badge of a true Christian. He says, the disciple is not above his master, and discipleship means allegiance to the suffering of Christ. And therefore, not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. I mean, that, that's a teaching that's probably not too popular in American Christianity, that discipleship means allegiance to the suffering of Christ. You know, I, th I think in our world, this idea of suffering because of our beliefs, this idea of persecution, antagonism, is only going to grow. It's only going to increase in the years and decades ahead because we live in a post-Christian world. And those who follow the teachings of Jesus are going to become more and more the, the oddity in, in our culture, more and more the anomaly that's out there. But Journey, let the rejection that you face, let the animosity that you encounter, let the rejection that's been a part of your life because of your faith, let that draw you closer to Jesus. So when people push you away, let me encourage you to step into his word. When you are singled out, hone in on his scripture. So practically speaking, how, how can you do that? Well, let me point you to the Psalms of the Old Testament. Man, spend, spend the summer in the Psalms. You know, there's 150 of them. You, you, can, you can read it th throughout the summer. And as you read the Psalms, you'll find out that what you might be experiencing is not new. And I love the Psalms because all of the emotions that we might feel, they, they are there on those pages. And time and time again, the authors of the psalm point us back to our Heavenly Father. So feeling rejected, embrace the psalms. Feeling alone, find a companion in the words of the psalms. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. You know, we have help that's available you know, two weeks ago, Justin preached and reminded us in the, the, of the words of John 14, verse 16, where he said, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and I will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit. So we need not rely on our own strength when, when we are feeling this antagonism, when we are getting this persecution. We can rely on Christ's strength through the Holy Spirit. So that strength that we need is found in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes, living for Jesus means being hated by the world, but strength to make it through 
is found in our own surrender to him. So Journey, let me encourage you to surrender today, to surrender your rebellion and step into Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that your son Jesus makes it possible to have a relationship with you. So Lord, we want to put our faith in you today to say no to our own personal rebellion and yes to you as our Lord and our Savior and our Master. So thank you, God, that we can do this through faith in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.